God has been good to Jerry Savelle. That's the one thing that I want to leave with you today. He is a good God and he has certainly been good to me. You've heard me say it many times in the past, kind of jokingly, but at the same time, I'm really serious. I don't know why I'm his favorite child. (laughs) He's been so good to me that that's the way I feel. And you should feel that way as well. Amen. Amen. Why don't we just lift our hands and thank God for his goodness in our lives. Amen. Father, we love you today and we honor you. And we thank you for your goodness. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't have a testimony. We wouldn't have a legacy. Our lives would certainly not be what they are today. And I personally want to thank you once again for being so faithful to me, faithful to our family, faithful to the ministry that you've blessed us with. And we give you praise and make this quality decision before you once again today. We'll live you, for you, serve you for the rest of our lives. And we praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. All right. Praise the Lord. Welcome, everybody. Uh, Just returned from California where I was invited to come and help celebrate uh, a wonderful, wonderful life. Uh, Betty Price, the wife of Apostle Fred Price. We've known Fred, of course, he's in heaven now, and his beautiful wife, Betty, and all their family. We've known them for many, many years, over 40 years. And I was privileged to, to be part of the homegoing ceremony with Brother Price and privileged to be at uh, Betty's 90th birthday celebration Friday night. My goodness, what a, what a great time it was. It's good to have good friends, amen? Amen. It's good to have long-term associations. I'm a long-term kind of person. I like like, uh, entering into relationships that that just last and last and last, amen? So I want to share with you today something that I've been thinking about. Uh, I had an introduction, but everybody else has already covered it, so I'll bypass the introduction. But I do have a question for you this morning before I ask you to open your Bibles. And that question is this. What impression have you made on others about your walk with God? What impression have you made with others about your walk with God? The Apostle Paul made this statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, if you want to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2. Ye are epistles written in our hearts, known and read of all men. The message translation says, your very lives are a letter that anyone can read just by looking at you. Your life is a letter that anyone can read just by looking at you. Amen. Amen. What message are you sending them when they look at your life? Do they think faithful? Do they think loyal? Do they think dependable? Or do they think, oh, here he comes again. 
But here she comes again, preaching at me, but never living what they preach. Your life is a letter, a living epistle, and it's read by all men. What message are you sending them? I wrote in these notes that I shared, I began writing last night and early this morning. Someone is watching how you live, how you talk, and especially how you react to challenges that you experience. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, it says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk in him. The Amplified Bible says, you ought to conduct, he ought to conduct himself in the same way in which Jesus conducted himself. The message translation says, we ought to live the same kind of life that Jesus lived. Has anybody said to you lately, I see Jesus in you. You know, it's been said that you may be the only Jesus that people see in the earth today. What they see in you is what they think of God. What they see in you is what they think of Christ. You know, if, if, if it's ever been said to you, you're the closest thing to Jesus that I've ever seen. That's one of the greatest compliments that anybody could give you. So notice he says, he that, he, he that saith he abideth in him, 1 John 2, 6. He that saith he abideth in him, ought himself also to walk in him. The Amplified Bible says, conduct himself in the same way in which he conducted himself. And the message translation says, ought to live the same kind of life that Jesus lived. In other words, his life is the standard. And I know, because I've thought it and you're thinking it right now, he has set the bar high. Amen. But our responsibility is to do our absolute best to live the way he lived. Amen. And the reason being is because we're living epistles. Somebody is looking at your life every day. I told the story one time, and you may remember it, that years ago, uh, when Carol and I first married, I had uh, wanted to serve my country, but we were just married, and Carolyn was now expecting Jerry Ann, and the Vietnam War was going on and, and uh, it would have been very hard for me to leave my family and so forth and, and uh, you know, wind up going to Vietnam. So a friend of mine who was in the National Guard there in Shreveport, Louisiana, he said, uh, I've heard you talk about you want to serve your country. Here's a way you can do it. The Guard is, has an opening. Our unit has an opening for about 20 men and uh, you ought to go down there and, and uh, sign up and See if you'll be selected. So I did. And I was selected. And uh, that was in uh, July of 19, I mean, uh, uh, yeah, July of 1967. And uh, so I joined the, the guard. And shortly after that, I was sent to basic training in Fort Dix, New Jersey. And uh, went through basic training and then went through AIT. And uh, while, when we finished AIT, uh, our company commander said, you gentlemen, wait in your barracks because it's quite possible you're going to be going to Vietnam. 
And just like, you know, guard units are, are going to Afghanistan and Iran and all those places today, our guard unit was told that it was possible that we would be shipping out later that afternoon and going to Vietnam. And there were units from all over South Louisiana, units from East Texas, uh, Mississippi, and Arkansas that were all training together at Fort Dix. And so we're sitting in a, in a large room. They moved us to a large room. And uh, these are all people that we went through basic with, and AIT and friendships were, were developed. And uh, most of the guys that I became close to were Cajuns from South Louisiana. One of them, his name was Louis Theophil Robichaud. <laughs> and he had been a rock and roll singer and, uh, and he uh, joined the guard there in South Louisiana. And he and I became close friends. And uh, so anyway, we're sitting there waiting to see if we're going to ship out later that day. They said they were going to send us to McGuire Air Force Base and then on to Vietnam. And so the company commander came in and he told certain units, get your gear together, go out and get ready to fly to McGuire. And uh, or get ready to go to McGuire and then on to Vietnam. So we were the only unit left. And he said, gentlemen, uh, the governor of the state of Louisiana has contacted us and he needs one unit to stand behind, stay behind and train uh, with the uh, uh, state police. And uh, because the civil rights movement was going on at that time. And he said, you're going to be trained with the state police to do handle riot control. And so they sent us back home. And then uh, from there, we did a lot of training with the state police. And then immediately we were shipped out in different hot spots where riots were taking place. And uh, because I had qualified expert and everything they put in my hand, they made a sniper out of me and put me on top of tall buildings. Thank God I never had to shoot anybody, but that was part of my responsibility. And uh, so we were... Uh, did that for the next, well, altogether, I served four years, should have served six years, but we got a new company commander in our unit who I knew. Uh, he owned a salvage yard in Texarkana, Arkansas. And while I was uh, on my automotive business, I bought a lot of parts from him. And when they introduced him that day as our new company commander, when we walked by, he looked at me and I thought, I know that guy, but I can't, hey, you know. <laughs> he walked by and looked at me and then he addressed everybody and, and told us, you know, what to expect as, his, as the new company commander. And then he dismissed us. We were getting ready to go to Fort Polk for some training. And uh, uh, by this time, I'm, I'm up for E-5 sergeant. And so uh, I'm, 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 I got a Jeep and a driver. And they're all loaded in deuce and a half trucks. And uh, the company commander came by and he said, uh, Jerry, wait a minute. And so I, I stood there and we shook hands. And he said, uh, I said, well, sir, I'm glad to hear you're our new company commander. I didn't even know you were in the military. He said, well, I didn't know you were in the guard. And he said, I thought the last time I talked to you, you said you were called to preach and you were preparing for full-time ministry. Is that happening? I said, yes, sir, I'm in the ministry now. And he said, uh, well, how long have you served? 
I said, I've served in the garden for four years now. Now, by this time, I'd already moved to Fort Worth. And every time we had a drill, I had to go back to Shreveport and join my unit. And sometimes Brother Copeland and I'd be in meetings and I'd get a call, report to your unit. And I'd have to come back to Shreveport and go wherever I needed to go. Sometimes I'd be gone a couple of weeks, maybe longer. And, uh, and so uh, I tried to join the unit here, but they were airborne and I didn't have that kind of training. And so I didn't want to have to start all over again even though I wanted to be airborne, but I didn't want to go through that process again. I already served four years, you know. So anyway, I was non, unable to join a unit here in Texas. So I have, have kept having to go to Shreveport every time we got called up. And so anyway, there was one guy in our unit. And I like to say this about him. If the apostle Paul was the chiefest sinner of them all, this boy was number two. I mean, this guy, he lived for the devil. And uh, when he found out, now I went through training with him all these years. In fact, I graduated from high school with him. And uh, uh, when he found out that I had surrendered my life to the Lord, he set out to see to it as his goal in life to tempt me to turn back. And every time we were together, it was just one thing after another. You know, and, and uh, uh, he was always trying to put me down in front of everybody. You know, if you've ever been on bivouac, I know some in here have been on bivouac. The food is not Cheesecake Factory. <laughs> okay. And boys, sometimes it was, it was hard to take. And he'd stand up and say, hey, Savelle, since you're a Christian now, see if your God can do anything with this mess. And I'd pray over the food in front of everybody, you know. And then I said, and Lord, have him on his knees before, this, before we leave this drill. Well, it turned out he lost his wedding band and uh, we, had to, we had to get on our knees and crawl everywhere to find his wedding band. And, and he found it and I said, yeah, but God answered my prayer. You were on your knees today, you know. So every time he tried to make fun of me, it backfired on him, you know. I mean, every time. And, and it just backfired on him. Well, one night, we're in church at Life Tabernacle. And usually on Sunday nights, uh, the associate pastor uh, did the service. And he, they always had an altar call. And people would come uh, and kneel at the bench, you know, and pray and so forth. And Carolyn and I were kneeled at the bench. And all of a sudden, I felt somebody's hand on my shoulder. And I turned around to see who it was, and it was him. And I was surprised. And he said, I've been watching you for one year now. I did everything I could do to tempt you and to trip you up, and you wouldn't compromise. I want what you've got. See, he was, I was an epistle to him. I was a letter that was being read by him. And so... I, he, I, he kneeled down there with me and I prayed the sinner's prayer with him. He got baptized in the Holy Ghost that night and he and I became Paul and Silas for the rest of my time in the guard. We won hundreds of men because his testimony, everybody knew what kind of rascal he was, you know, had been. 
And, and him standing up there and talking about Jesus. I mean, we were Paul and Silas and won so many of those young men. In fact, my company commander asked me to consider to go to OCS and come back and be the chaplain of our unit. And that was a great honor, you know, because, uh, you know, many of the chapel services in the military, I wonder if some of those chaplains are even saved. You ever thought that? Because all they had was three points in a poem and most of the points out of Reader's Digest. And I was doing Bible studies in the barracks and I had more people attending my Bible study in the barracks than the chaplain had in the chapel service. And so that's an example of what Paul is talking about. We are living epistles. Somebody is reading your life every day. What message are you sending them? Do they see you as faithful, loyal, compassionate, loving, non-compromising? Or is their attitude, well, he talks a good talk, but he doesn't live it. That shouldn't be the message we're sending, amen? That shouldn't be the message we're sending. So he says, conduct yourself in the same way in which Jesus conducted himself. You ought to live the same kind of life that Jesus lived. And once again, I realize this, the standard and the bar has been set high, but we are to follow his example as best we can. Think of it as establishing your own legacy. What your children and your children's children, as well as friends and associates will remember you by. You may never make a mark on the world that everyone will remember like Billy Graham or Oral Roberts. Your name may never be written in history books like George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or your name might never be written in Christian journals. But you do leave impressions on those around you. Those you go to school with, those you work with, those you go to church with, those you go to church with, those you go to church with. <laughs> You're making an impression on people you go to church with. Amen. And you know, it's a sad thing that most churches are frequently having turnovers. One of the things I enjoy about going to churches that I've gone to for many, many years, in fact, uh, just recently, well, just this past week, I was in a church that I've been going to for 40 years, every year for 40 years. They consider me an apostle to their church. And one of the things I look forward to, and, and, and Eric, this was his first time to be in that church with me. And uh, one of the things I look forward to is seeing the same people there every time I go. Amen. Amen. I've said it before. You probably heard me say it. Uh, I've, I've gone to churches where there's a lot of shouting going on, a lot of amen going on, a lot of jumping up and dancing going on. And when I go back to that church next time, I always look for the one who shouted the loudest, the one who danced the most, and the one who said amen the most. And many times I don't see them. Where are they? Fred Price was here with me years ago. I used to do, before Brother Copeland started the Believers Convention here in Fort Worth, I had a week's meeting called the Believers Rally. 
and I would bring in different speakers like uh, Happy Caldwell, Buddy Harrison, Ed Dufresne, uh, Bill Bozanski, Charles Capps, Fred Price. And the first time Fred came to speak in my meeting, uh, we had established uh, a church at that time that we called Overcoming Faith Center. And, uh, uh, in, and eventually I merged it with Grace Temple because my international ministry was opening up and I couldn't pastor and travel internationally at the same time. So I invited the church to, to follow me as I followed the Lord and, and accepted Brother Harold Nichols as my pastor. And we took that group over there uh, to his church. And I remember this one woman came up to Brother Price at the end of his service. And she said, oh, Brother Price, I enjoyed you so much. She said, you know, I used to be a member of Brother Jerry's church. And then I joined uh, 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 Bob Nichols' church and then uh, Harold Nichols' church. And now I'm in another church. And I think she thought that Brother Price was going to say, you're such a wonderful woman. You're, any church you'd be in would be fortunate to have you. He looked at her and just in that Fred Price way, what you telling me, woman, you ain't no good to any of them. And walked out. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I wish I could have said that, you know. <laughs> what kind of message was she sending? People come and people go. People come and people go. People come and people go. And it seems like the ones that you invest the most in often are the first to leave. I've never understood that. I have never understood that because I'm not that kind of person. You know, I remember when I was Brother Copeland's associate minister working for him full time. And he began having me teach all of his morning services. And people would come up to me and say, why are you still working for Kenneth Copeland? Why don't you launch out into your own ministry? And one would even say, I even had one say, I'd rather hear you than Brother Copeland. That's not what you need to hear when the Lord's told you to serve somebody. You know? And I was satisfied serving Brother Copeland for the rest of my life. I never intended to leave. In fact, you remember the video you showed just a few moments ago? Brother Copeland said that night, Jerry, stand up. God showed me that you and I will be a team and we'll spend the rest of our lives together preaching the word of God all over the world. Be your responsibility to believe God for the perfect timing for the team to begin. When, when he said that and, and we accepted that, moved here, went to work with him, I never intended to leave. I wasn't looking for an opportunity to leave. I made a good associate minister. I was loyal. I was faithful. And even though he's having me do his morning services in the afternoon and evening services, I was by his side, holding his Bible, holding his coat, uh, helping him pray for people, getting him in the car, getting him to the hotel, getting him out of the car, back to the meeting. I was satisfied to do that for the rest of my life. And when the Lord said, it's time for you to launch out into your own ministry, I argued with the Lord. I said, Lord, you said we'd be a team. And, and now that I've, I've, I've been in this walk for three years at that time, I'd seen so many associate pastors leave, you know, their position. And, and it seemed like to me when they left, it severed the relationship. They never even spoke to each other anymore. Uh, they never had anything good to say about one another anymore. 
I said, Lord, if I leave, it'll split up the team. He said, no, it won't, son. He said, it'll enable the team to cover twice as much territory with the same message. And he said, you'll always be a team. That is the only reason that I, I said to the Lord, if that's, if that's your will. I said, but I am not going to make a move until you reveal it to Brother Copeland. So we were in Long Beach, California, November of 1973. Just finished a meeting there. I preached the morning services. He preached the afternoon and evening services. We got in his airplane and was headed home. I'm setting up in the cockpit with him in the right seat. One of my jobs was back then he liked a thermos of coffee when he was flying. So I had his coffee ready. And I watched when he got to the cruising altitude and was going to turn on the autopilot. I had the coffee mug open, coffee in his cup, and all in one motion, he pushed the autopilot and he reached for the coffee. <laughs> he was there every time. He took one sip and he said, when are you leaving? I said, sir. He said, when are you leaving? I said, I'm going all the way home with you. He said, that's... <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. (laughs) I didn't bring a parachute till, you know. I said, I'm going back to Fort Worth with you. He said, that's not what I'm talking about. He said, the Lord told me that you're about to leave. I don't want it to happen, but I know it's God. And uh, I just want you to know, I, 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 I bless you. I send you with my blessing. I said, well, Brother Copeland, the Lord spoke to me about that. And I said, I would not make a move until he revealed it to you. And since he has, then I will finish out this month as a paid employee, but I don't want you to pay me the whole month of December. And I'm going to give you a hundred percent, just like I did all this, all this time. But the end of December will be my last day. I'll launch out into this ministry, January the 1st, 1974. And then he said this, well, I'll call some people and let them know you're on your own now and, and uh, in, invite you to come. I said, no, sir, I appreciate that. But I'd, I'd also appreciate if you not do that. I said, the Bible says, and I learned this before I moved to Fort Worth, the scripture God gave me before I moved to Fort Worth. A man's gift makes room for him and brings him before great men. I don't want to spend the rest of my life wondering if it hadn't been for you and your endorsement, if I'd have ever made it in the ministry. If I have a gift from God, it will open the door for me. He said, okay, that's the way you want it. And then I said, and I don't want you to pay me during the month of December. He said, why not? I said, well, I got one month now to to prepare to be on my own and not have a check to depend on from you. He said, you don't want me to pay you? I said, no, sir, I don't want you to pay me. He said, well, never heard anything like that. I said, well, if this is God, then God's going to be in it. Amen. And so I've finished the year out with him. Uh, December the 31st, 1973. January the 1st, 1974. I, worked, I walked into a fully furnished office with everything in it given to me. I'm talking about typewriters, copy machines, desks, chairs, even left the pencils and the paper clips on the table. A businessman that I had met 
was getting out of business and he said, I'll just give you everything. And I walked into a fully furnished office. Not only that, God blessed me with more money during December to launch my ministry than I'd made with Brother Copeland the previous nine months. I hit the ground running, praise God. Hit the ground running. I'm sitting in in this office all by myself. I thought, what do I do now? So I went and sat in the lobby and acted like my own receptionist. And then I walked into this third office and I sat in that. That would be the office for a coming associate minister, someone to travel with me. And uh, uh, I'm sitting there and the telephone rang. It was a friend of mine that I had met while I was working with Brother Copeland from Augusta, Georgia. His name was Ralph Kennedy. And Ralph said, Brother Jerry, I just heard that you're in your own ministry now. You've launched out in your own ministry. I said, yes, sir. He said, can you come to Augusta? I said, when? He said, as soon as you can. I said, how about this weekend? He said, that works for me. He was the president of full gospel businessman chapter there. And he said, come. And I said, uh, uh, okay, I'll be there. He said, now, uh, when you get here, would it be all right with you if I tell people to invite you to come to other chapters? Well, I wasn't going to say, well, no, no. <laughs> I hadn't learned this more, Roberts, yet. But if I had, this came later, I would have said what Oral Roberts always said to me. If you insist. <laughs> when I got to Augusta, Every place I, I preached, there was somebody there wanting me to come here, and somebody there wanted me to come here, and somebody there wanted me to come there. I was booked up for three months off of that one meeting, and I had not slowed down since, praise God. Amen? I have not slowed down since. And now, praise God, I've preached in 50 different nations. Uh, our ministry is known all over the world. It's just amazing what God will do when you're faithful. I've never had to be self-promoting. I've never had to weasel my way around to be in the company of the right people. I depended on my gift. The gift, your gift makes room for you and brings you before great men. I mean, I considered Kenneth Copeland a great man. I considered Kenneth Hagin a great man. I considered Oral Roberts one of the greatest men I've ever known. T.L. Osborne. These were all my mentors and I did not have to weasel my way into their lives. I just did what I do. Be obedient to God. And they sought me out. Amen. And I became friends and co-laborers with some of the greatest men and women of our generation. That's what a man's gift will do for him. The Lord told me before I ever moved to Fort Worth, Find out what your gift is, protect it, develop it, and you'll never have to take advantage of people and you'll never have to be self-promoting. And that's exactly what God has done all these years. So notice here, the Bible says that we are to do our utmost in following Jesus' example. Amen. He was a man of integrity, obviously a man of faith, a man who did not compromise and that's what I've endeavored to do. The two men in the Bible that have impressed on me more so than anybody else 
is Jesus and the Apostle Paul. These are the two men I've endeavored to pattern my life after. Jesus and the Apostle Paul. When I get to heaven, I plan to spend quality time with both of them. And when I meet Paul, I'm going to let him know I preached all your sermons. (laughs) But I gave you credit for it. Amen. Amen. There was a, a, a man, he's now the president of Oral Roberts University, who sat at our table at Betty Price's uh, birthday celebration. And he came over to me and said, Jerry Seville, uh, years ago, years ago, back in, I believe he said in the, didn't he say in the early, late 70s or early 80s? Well, it had to be past 81 because that's when I preached it. He said, I heard you preach a message called the fourth man. He said, that message impacted my life so much, I studied it day and night. And I said, I'm going to preach that message just like Jerry Savelle. And he said, and I preached it everywhere I went. And people said, it was the greatest message they'd ever heard. And then I found out it wasn't even your message. It was all Robert's message. I said, well, you must not listen to the first statement I made because when I got up that night, and I didn't know Kenneth Copeland was going to turn the service over to me. He said, Jerry, you're closing out the meeting night. Get on up here. I didn't have a clue what I was going to preach. When I walked up to the podium, I just laid my Bible down. It fell open to the book of Daniel. And all of a sudden, I heard come out of me the message I heard Oral Roberts preach in 1957 when I first heard the call to preach. And it's called the fourth man. And I preached the fourth man. And I'm telling you, the anointing God hit that place. And Brother Copeland jumped up and said uh, to his uh, television producer, who at that time was his daughter, Terry Pearsons. She was known not as Terry Pearsons because she wasn't married at that time. And he said, get this message Jerry preached on our television broadcast as soon as you can. And when it aired on Sunday morning, Monday morning, I got a call from Ruth Rooks, Oral Roberts' personal secretary, Oh, Roberts wants you in his office at 10 o'clock this morning. Can I tell you, he'll be there. You'll be there. I thought, dear God, they're going to sue me. (laughs) And I'd not met old Roberts at that time. So I fly to Tulsa and find out where his office is. And when I, when I walk, when walk in Ruth Rook's office, she let brother Roberts know I was there and he came out stood there like this. And and I knew he was tall, but I didn't realize he was that tall. And it looked like to me, this arm went to that wall and this arm went to that wall, you know? (laughs) Standing there like this and said, come here, my brother. I've been wanting to meet you for a long time. I actually turned around to see who else came in the room. (laughs) There was nobody there but me and Ruth Rooks. He said, I said, are you talking to me? He said, yes, sir. Come. I've been wanting to meet you for a long time. I heard you preach my sermon on Kenneth Copeland's broadcast yesterday. And I turned to Evelyn and said, it's time for us to develop a relationship with this young man. I heard he heard the call to preach when he was a young boy watching me on TV. He said, come here. So I walked a little closer. He said, come here. I didn't know how close I was supposed to get to him, you know. He just pulled me into his bosom and began to prophesy over me and said, now come into my office. I thought, okay, the lawyers are in here. (laughs) Walked in, nobody's in there. And he said, sit down. And he sat down next to me on his sofa. And uh, that began a lifelong relationship. 
Notice, now I'd always desired, I'll be honest with you, from the time I accepted the call of God in my life, one of the people I wanted to meet was Oral Roberts. And I just wanted to say to him, I didn't think of long-term relationship. I didn't think of being friends and, you know, I just wanted to say to him, thank you, sir. I'm in the ministry today because of what I heard you preach when I was about 10 years old. And that, that, that would have been wonderful if that's as far as it ever went. But it began a lifelong relationship. Amen. And what a privilege it was. I miss him, miss him big time, even to this day. So your life, once again, is an epistle and somebody's reading it every day. What message are you sending? What letter are you sending? The Apostle Paul said in Colossians chapter one, let's go there, Colossians chapter one. Beginning in verse one. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are in Colossae, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Now listen to this, underline this. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have to all the saints. Notice the thing that he heard about these believers in Colossae. What was it? Their faith and their love. I think that's two of the greatest attributes that anybody could recognize in your life. What did they think of when they think of your name? Faith and love. Faith and compassion. I don't think there's anything greater that someone could think about you then that person is a person of faith and a person of love. Can you say amen? amen. Faith and love. Say it with me. Faith and love. Faith and love. Is that what others see in you? Is that the first thing they think when they hear your name? Do they think of this? They're always obedient to God. They're always endeavoring to please him. They always put God first in everything they do. Or do they think, well, you just never know whether they'll be up today and down tomorrow. They really never demonstrate consistency. They talk a good talk about living by faith, but they very seldom dis demonstrate it. Is that the message people are receiving when they think of your name? Once again, you may not realize it, but you are making impressions on somebody every day. I heard someone say this many years ago. I don't remember who it was. If I did, I'd give them credit for it. The impression you make can build a bridge to God for somebody or it can drive a wedge between them and God. The impression that you make can build a bridge to God for somebody or it can drive a wedge between them and God. It's also been said, you have one chance to make a first impression, but you have a lifetime to make a lasting impression. Amen? Amen? Amen. You know, first impressions are important. Yes, sir. 
First impressions are important. I remember Jesse DePlantis telling me one time, and Jesse and I uh, preach in a lot of the same churches around the world. And Jesse said to me one time, he said, Jerry, everywhere I go, pastors think so highly of you. He said, I've never heard one pastor ever say that Jerry Savelle came in here and fleeced our people, or Jerry Savelle came in here and, and, and tried to find out who was the richest members in the church and have personal meetings with them at the hotel. He said, everywhere I go, your name is, is uh, uh, upheld. You leave a, a good impression everywhere you go. Well, I've endeavored to do that. I've worked hard at doing that, you know? And he said, uh, pastors love you all over the world. I said, well, Jesse, that, that didn't just happen overnight. It didn't happen, you know, just because I'd like for it to happen. I've worked hard at that, endeavoring to, to leave a good impression everywhere I've gone. In fact, sometimes, uh, just this, this week, while we were in meetings, the pastor said, Brother Jerry, would you like to receive your own offering tonight? Or if you prefer, I'll receive it. I said, you receive it. I'm happy with you receiving it. He said, well, if you want to receive your own offering tonight, see, a lot of churches won't allow traveling evangelists to do that because they take advantage of the people. But I don't do that. I don't have any gimmicks. I don't have any uh, special uh, green hankies that I can give away. And if you hold on to this green hanky, green stands for prosperity and you will prosper beyond your wildest dreams. Only thing is, it'll cost you $1,000 for this green hanky, you know. No. I got guy on the radio I heard when I first moved to Fort Worth. Uh, there was a channel that came out of Dallas. It was a Christian channel. And this man was preaching and he said, now, if you send me $100, I'm going to pray for you. If you don't send that $100, you ain't got a prayer. Well, I've never done that kind of thing. I don't have gimmicks. I don't play on people's emotions. I was telling Eric this week that uh, there was a, a man that came to our office years ago and he wanted a, an appointment with me. I'd never met him before. He, he was a, a, a consultant to ministries and so forth. And, and he was well known in the body of Christ back in those days. And he said, uh, came into my office and we had him in the conference room. And he said, uh, Jerry Savelle, you're one of the rising stars in the charismatic movement. I want to help put your name in every household. I said, well, sir, you must have me mistaken by somebody else. That's not my aim. That's not my goal. That's never been my dream. All I'm endeavoring to do is be obedient to what God called me to do. He said, well, I'd like to represent your ministry. He said, now I'll start writing your uh, partner letters for you and I'll start doing this and I'll start doing that. And he said, and every once in a while, we need to create a crisis because people give when there's a crisis. So I got up and I said, sir, uh, thank you for coming, but I'm not interested. There's the door. He said, you're not interested in becoming one of the most well-known preachers in the world? I said, no, sir, that's never been my goal. My goal is to do what God's called me to do. And what God's called me to do is make winners in life through the word of God. And we'll get that done without you. 
Amen. That was a long, long time ago. Long time ago. And we haven't had to have him to become a ministry that is known around the world. And a ministry that I might add, and I'm not trying to be uh, egotistical, but a ministry of integrity. Amen. A ministry of faithfulness. I mean, do you know how rare it is today to be able to say you have been a team with the same preacher for 54 years and there's no competition, never been a crossword. Amen. That's rare in the body of Christ today. But that's, that's the way God wanted it. Amen. So once again, I'm going to keep repeating this. Your life is an epistle and it's being read by somebody every day, even when you're not even aware of it. Even when you don't know, they're even watching. Somebody is watching. Amen. Like the time uh, when there was a, a, a thing, bad economy in the U.S. back in the 80s. And two, two ladies uh, were in the grocery store. Carolyn asked me to stop and pick up something. So I went in there and I saw two ladies who had been a member of our, the church we had back in the 70s. And they're standing there picking, off, picking things off the shelf. And one of them said, can you believe how, how much this costs now? No, I can't believe that. She said, don't even go to the meat section. It's unreal what the meat cost. And she said, oh yeah, have you checked out bread lately? How much bread cost? And then they both saw me and said, oh, Brother Jerry, isn't it wonderful that God meets all of our needs? putting on a facade, living one way and talking another way. Amen. 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 No, the message you send is how you talk and how you act, and particularly in a crisis. Anybody can talk faith when everything's going well. But what are you talking when all hell breaks loose? What are you talking when the bottom falls out? What are you talking during a pandemic? Amen. Amen. So the impression you make can build a bridge to God for someone or it can drive a wedge between them and God. You have one chance to make a first impression, but a lifetime to make a lasting impression. The truth is you're setting an example for somebody every day. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Paul was so confident that he was making a positive impression that he was bold to make this statement. Philippians chapter three, verse 17. Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as ye have us for in sample or an example. Be followers of me. How many people could say, Oh, if you're looking for a good example, follow me. But Paul was so confident that he was leaving a good and positive example that he was bold to say, be followers of me as I follow Christ. The Amplified Bible says, 
follow my example and observe those who live after the pattern we have set for you. Follow my example and observe those who have followed the pattern that we have set for you. The message translation says, keep track of those you see running this same course and headed for the same goals. The book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter six, verse 12, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And I'd like to add this to that verse. Not only should we follow these kind of people who set a good example of faith and patience, but it should be our ambition to become one of those people that somebody else can follow. Amen. Amen. You become the example to somebody else of faith and patience, of faith and endurance, faith and this no quit attitude, no turning back attitude. Amen. Here's the kind of example that God wants you to become to others. That same scripture from the message translation who stay the course with committed faith and then get everything promised to them. You know, people like following winners. Today, the Super Bowl is being played. Were you aware of that? (laughs) Pastor, aren't you so glad it wasn't at 10 o'clock this morning? You'd be preaching to me and a handful of others. Somebody's going to win. And guess whose locker room they will go to? The winning locker room. Nobody goes into the losing locker room. You guys were lousy today. How did you ever make it to the Super Bowl? You ought to be ashamed to have that uniform on. They don't go in the losing locker room. They go in the winning locker room. Amen. They go in the winning locker room. Why? Because people are attracted to winners. Is anybody attracted to you? Let me go on this side of the auditorium. (laughs) People are attracted to winners. Amen. That was one of the things that kept me out of the ministry because I didn't think preachers had the ability to win. I thought all preachers were moochers. They just lived off everybody else. You know, Carolyn's mom and dad, they were back in these days, those days, preachers didn't stay in hotels. They stayed in people's homes. And, and Carolyn's mom and dad, Olin and Mary Christ, were usually the home that the pastor asked them to host the, the, the speaker, the guest preacher. And they did all the time. And we had a house next door to them that her father built. And that meant every time some preacher's in their house, Carolyn wanted me to meet them preachers. (laughs) Trying to set me up. You know, maybe something one of them says or does will get his attention. And prior to Kenneth Copeland, the only one who ever stayed in their home that I liked and I liked being around. And he impressed me. It was Brother Lee Spivey. Brother Spivey from Declo, Idaho. What a precious man he was. I considered him to be an old apostle. 
old. He was younger than I am now. (laughs) But he was an old apostle when you're 22 years old, you know. And Brother Spivey would come. And I I just thought the world of him. He was a precious man. And he, he would say to me, uh, Jerry, I'm praying for you. And it didn't, it didn't intimidate me. It didn't, it didn't make me think, oh, Carolyn's talking to him about me, just like she does all them other preachers. And she didn't talk to other preachers. I just thought that. And I never was impressed with, with many of them that stayed in their home. But Brother Spivey, And when I accepted the call to the Lord, he came to congratulate me because he'd been praying for me. And he said, no, Brother Jerry, do you intend to have longevity in the ministry? I said, yes, sir. I've been running from God for a long time and now I'm going to serve God for the rest of my life. He said, would you like some secrets to having longevity in the ministry? I said, yes, sir. I said, let me run get my legal pad. And I sat there in front of him and I thought I'd fill up that legal pad. And here's what he said. Shun the very appearance of evil. Got up, went in his car and left. (laughs) That's it? He said, if you do that, you'll have longevity in the ministry. Shun the very appearance of evil. Anybody ever attended my Bible school? That's the first lesson you learned when you came to my Bible school. That's the first lesson I share in every minister's conference I do. Shun the very appearance of evil. And today, I get called old school because I practice that. Amen. I was in Tennessee one time and the pastor said, I'll pick you up at... uh, 6.30, meeting starts at 7 o'clock. Takes about 15 minutes to get there. I like to be there about 15 minutes early. So I'm standing out in front of the hotel because I'm always on time. There's time and then there's Savelle time. And that's 15 minutes earlier than that. Is that right? So I'm standing out there waiting for my ride, the pastor. It's almost 7 o'clock. And he hadn't arrived yet. Finally, it gets to be seven o'clock and I'm still standing there on the curb. And this car comes around and the window goes down and there's a woman in there uh, driving and she said, "Uh, Brother Jerry, I'm pastor's secretary. Something came up and he said, for me to come pick you up. I said, no, ma'am, I can't ride with you. She said, why not? I said, "Uh, you're a woman. Uh, And see if she didn't know. You know, today you can't tell women from men and men from women, you know, but she was a woman. (laughs) I said, you're a woman. She said, yes, I know. I said, I can't ride with you. I said, I'm on television. I'm on television here in this city. And if we're riding down the highway to your church and somebody sees me in the car with this woman alone and they know you're not my wife because they know Carolyn, what she looks like then I would never have the opportunity to explain this. So you go get a man. I'll be standing right here waiting for you. And you go get a man to come pick me up. Oh, she was, she was, 
upset about that. And the pastor was even more upset than her. Well, that's old school thinking, Brother Jerry. Well, old school thinking has caused me to be in the ministry 55 years without a scandal. Amen. So if that's what it takes, call me old school Jerry. That's fine. Praise God. Amen. Because I intend to finish my course without a scandal. Glory to God. Amen. So stay the course with committed faith and then get everything promised. Say committed faith. Look at your neighbor and say, stay the course with committed faith. That's how you get everything God wants you to have. That's what others should see in you, committed faith. They should see a never give up, never turn back attitude. This is what Paul saw in the believers in Thessalonica. Go with me, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. Look at chapter 1. Verse 5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know, what manner of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. Now, Jesus said in Mark chapter four, on the sower sows the word. That once the word is sown, Satan comes immediately to steal the word out of your heart. Here, the apostle Paul says that you receive the word from us with much affliction. In other words, right after he preached to them and they received the word, many trials, many afflictions, many uh, challenges came to them. Now, here's what it says. uh, If you keep on reading verse seven, it says, so that you were in samples or examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad. Notice this is what he saw in them, that they did not give up in adversity. They did not quit in afflictions. And eventually their faith was spread abroad. Hallelujah. That's the example that God wants each and every one of us to have. Now, the message translation says, when the message we preached came to you, it was not just words. Something happened in you. The Holy Spirit put still in your convictions. You paid close attention to the way we lived among you and determined to live that way yourselves. Although great trouble accompanied the word, you were able to take great joy from the Holy Spirit. And then it closes with, do you know believers look up to you? And it finishes with, the news of your faith is out. Hallelujah. The news of your faith is out. And the Passion Translation says, people are hearing about your strong faith. Notice, they made an impression, a lasting impression. When people thought of the believers in Thessalonica, they thought, oh, those people have strong faith. They will not quit even under pressure. Even when they have great trials, they just stay strong. They stay steady. They don't compromise. They're the same. They're they're an example of Jesus. The same yesterday, today, and forever. Is that what people say when they hear your name? 
is that the message your life is sending to others. It should be the legacy of everyone in here today. In one of Paul's letters to Timothy, he admonished him in 1 Timothy 4, 12, and I'm reading it from the Passion Translation. Be the example they need to see by being faithful and true in all that you do. Remain strong in faith. Be the example they need to see by being faithful and true in all that you do. You know how you grow a church? It's members being faithful. Being faithful. And what happens when people are faithful? They abound in the blessings of God. And abounding in the blessings of God causes people to be attracted to you and where you go to church. Come on. Amen. Amen. Be the example they need to see by being fruitful or faithful and true in all that you do. Remain strong in your faith. Remaining strong in your faith is one of the greatest things that you can do in being an example to others. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 through 16, you are the light to the world. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. The message translation says, you're here. Listen to this. This is the purpose that you're here right now. I'm talking about on this planet. You're alive today for this reason. You're here to be a light. Shine. You're here to be a light. Shine is what the message translation says. So I had a question for you at the beginning of this message. And I have a question for you at the close of this message. After you are gone, will the life that you live down here still be making an impact on others? What will they remember you by? If I should die before the rapture, and it's quite possible I will be here and go up in the rapture. The sign of the times are certainly indicating that. But if for some reason I die before the rapture, of course I win either way. But if I should die before the rapture, I want my family to put on my grave. He finished his course. He kept the faith and quitting was not an option. Thank you. (laughs) Come on, let's give the Lord a good shout of praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Stand with me if you will, please. Lift your hands and let me pray for you. Father, I pray over every member of this congregation and over every person who's watching by internet, live stream, whatever way they're seeing this service later through social media. I pray in Jesus' name that the message I've shared today will make a tremendous impact on each and every life. That they seriously think about what impressions they are leaving and making on others who come in contact with them. That they seriously think about the legacy that they will leave behind. What will their children say about them? What will their children's children say about them? Will they say about their mom and their dad? My mom and dad were faithful. My mom and dad were loyal to God. Will the grandchildren say, my grandfather, my grandmother, 
Man, did they ever love God. If there was ever a good example for me to follow, it was my grandfather and my grandmother. Think seriously about the impression that you're making on others. And I pray in Jesus' name that the rest of your life, the lasting impression that you make and you leave will be one that will bring great glory to God in Jesus' name. Give the Lord a shout if you receive that.